Well, good morning. I hope you're ready to walk with Jesus, as that bumper video said. But before we get started with the sermon, just a, a note really quick, because Pastor Bob talked about this last week. 252, our new kids area that used to be the gym or the activity center, we just launched it last week. So this is the second week that we've had it going on. We are super pumped about it. Next week, we have its grand opening, and so we would love for you to see it. However, we do want the chaos of—I um, say chaos in a great way. The more kids we have, the more checking in and checking out we have to do. So after service next week, we're going to be checking our kids out, and then we want to invite you in so that you can see what that center is all about. You can see everything that the kids do, where they're at, and just— the places that they get to learn about Jesus. So we want to invite you to do that. If you are worshiping with us online, we'd love for you to be a part of that and come next week if you're able. If you're not, we understand that too. Maybe we'll have some videos so that you can see as well. So this week I'm talking about being relational with Jesus. It's a cool theme that happens throughout the whole gospel message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see it throughout the whole thing, and so I could pick and choose some scriptures for you to um, proof text what I'm going to say. I'm not going to do that so much this week, but I have put in your sermon notes, if you're here in the sanctuary, the sermon notes folder thing that's not folded, so it's not a worship folder anymore. You'll have some extra references down there. If you're worshiping with us online, you can go on version on the app there, the Bible app, and we've got the extra scriptures there. But really what I thought is this is a story that is told over the whole trajectory of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel narrative. And so I decided what I'm going to do is have you stand for the reading of God's Word and read the whole gospel to you. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> You'd be standing for a while and hate me after a while. So. Um, I'm not going to do that, but I will pick out one scripture that kind of sets the mood for where we're going. So if you would, stand with me out of respect for God's Word. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus... Help us learn how to move from being just a student retaining information to a life of transformation. So in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here in this scripture, but again throughout, I'm going to be talking about the overarching story that takes place in the the four first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see two sets of people who were called to follow Jesus, and they followed Him. Now, other places in the Gospels, you're going to see and you're going to hear, and I encourage you to go back and read the Gospels as much as you can this week, you're going to see some other groups of people. See, in these Gospel messages, we've got the followers and we've got the observers. We've got the people who walked with Jesus, and then we've got the people who just observed. 
There's a, a guy named Bob Goff who wrote a book called Love Does. He's an eccentric kind of guy, but he had this quote, I used to think I could learn about Jesus by studying Him, but now I know Jesus doesn't want stalkers. <laughs> wow! Jesus doesn't want stalkers. You know, a stalker is somebody who maybe takes pictures or takes some information. Maybe they memorize your movements. Maybe they observe you from afar, but there's never a relationship. Have you ever had a stalker? If you are a stalker, don't admit that right now. We'll have a time for that at the end of this service. I've had two times in my life where I consider um, I've been stalked. The first time I was in the fifth grade, Harris Elementary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, we, the um, elementary school was in a neighborhood, so there was a bunch of side traffic and um, just not tons of cars, but you know, um, I was a cool fifth grader. Um, I, I was a pretty chubby fifth grader at that point, and I, um, it was January of probably 2000, uh, sorry, 1993. So I was about to turn 11 years old. Me and my best friend BJ, his name was Brandon Johnson, we called him BJ, who was the super athletic kid in the school. We were cool because we were security guards. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but we had that sash, you know, that yellow sash that went around and it kind of did this number. And I had my winter coat on because it was the middle of January. And so I walked with BJ down to my spot and then probably because he was more athletic and he could walk further and I was out of breath, he went a little bit further. But um, every day we would stand there like this, make sure that no cars were coming and we'd put our arms down and let the students pass. They'd cross the street. Well, what happened was, middle of January, I decided, okay, this is the last group of students, so I let them cross, and I walked with them up to where BJ was. BJ was at the last station, and so he let the students go by, and we were going to walk back together. And about that time, we saw something that didn't really fit. This car drove down the street in front of us, not too far, I'd say probably 20 yards or so, and its window was down. Middle of January, snow on the ground, and I said, BJ, that, that guy's window's down. It's the middle of January. And he goes, yeah, this isn't right. And about that time, the guy that's in the driver's seat pulls out a camera. Now you need to understand, for those of you who weren't around in 1993, I'm not talking about a camera like this. I'm not talking about one of those cool fancy pen cameras that you can't see. I'm talking about one of those 20-pound like, get out, and then his finger starts going like this as he's looking at us. It freaks us out. And so he turns the corner where we're at, and when he does that, we realize he's going into a cul-de-sac. He's going to have to come back around by us again. So we hightail—let me rephrase that. BJ hightails it, and I'm like the Michelin man trying to get from point A to point B. And he, like a gazelle, jumps over this fence in this um, neighborhood, in this house, and I'm like doing that whole like trying to climb over, and it's clumsy, I'm sure. But the car comes back, and we're hiding in the bushes, and he's looking for us. It freaked us out. So we ran back to the school. BJ ran, and I probably just walked fast. We got back to the school and told our principal, and so we had an adult out there the next couple of days, but it freaked us out. A couple months later, my dad gets a call from the principal, and he sits me down at night and he says, hey, Aaron, I got to let you know something. He said, um, 
There was a guy that was here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, who um, was just arrested, and they went into his apartment and found a bunch of pictures of elementary school kids, aged kids. And I wanted to let you know, so that if you heard it from anybody else, there's validity to your story, and I'm sorry that it happened. Man, it kind of freaked me out, I'm not going to lie, but you know, I was 11 years old, and luckily I haven't had to go to the therapy because of it. But I was in the Holy Lands a couple years ago, and I realized, my goodness, here I am looking at the sites that Jesus was at, and I took pictures, and I was like, hey, here I am, this is where Jesus could have stood, and, and I'm getting all these pictures, and I'm getting all these documentations of everything, and then all of a sudden, Bob Goff comes and says, Jesus doesn't want stalkers. And a light bulb went off, and I've been stalking Jesus. I memorized things, and I, I've gathered all this information. I took pictures of where he was so that I could say, man, I'm following Jesus. But really, at times there wasn't a relationship. It was just about documentation and memorization. So to speed things up this morning, I'm going to give us a list of things. And I want you to take an inventory, because I'm going to say, you might be a stalker if— and let's take some inventory of our lives and be honest with yourself and say, I might be a stalker if, and let's rate ourselves. You might be a Jesus stalker if you're living in, living in isolation. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read through them. Yes, there were times that Jesus got away, but that was not the norm. He was with people. He was traveling with them. He was riding on boats. He was sleeping in their presence. He was eating just like we talked about with communion. He washed their feet. He was not in isolation. He was around people. He was vulnerable around people, and he allowed others to be vulnerable in his presence. If you're by yourself living in isolation, you're probably a Jesus stalker. You might be a Jesus stalker if you're only around churchgoers. You might be a Jesus stalker if you're only around churchgoers. Take a look again. We're talking about the whole gospel message, but I'm just going to point out a couple of things. John 4, the woman at the well. It's a Samaritan woman. He's not supposed to be around her, but guess what? He is. Luke 19, Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He was stalking Jesus. Jesus was passing by, and he just wanted to get a glimpse of him. But guess what? Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to go to your house and dine. He was a tax collector. And Jesus went and ate with him. Or Matthew 10 through 13, excuse me, Matthew 9, 10 through 13. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, word of caution here. I'm not saying go out and get drunk with your friends. Jesus didn't hang with the sinners and tax collectors so that he could be like them. He did his normal daily routine. He had to eat, right? 
The tax collectors and sinners had to eat. He brought them along on the journey. He was around them so that he could call them to repentance, not so he could indulge in what they were doing. If you're only around churchgoers, we're probably not with Christ. We're probably watching from afar. You might be a Jesus stalker if you have an answer for everything. Pastor Bob said last week, and I love this, faith is living like God is telling the truth. Faith is living like God is telling the truth. And here's what I want to add this week, because I think this is in that, in that quote, but we don't actually say it. It's living like God is telling the truth because we don't know it all. We don't know it all. See, the Pharisees in the New Testament, they knew the rules, they knew the regulations, they had the laws, and they tried to trick Jesus with questions. See, they tried to just trap him and do different things with their questions. But the disciples, those who followed him, they asked questions nonstop. John 1, 38, where are you staying, Jesus? Matthew 13, why do you speak in parables? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? When will this take place, and what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus, who sinned, the blind man or his parents? The disciples did not understand any of this, is what the scripture says. And that's when Jesus was predicting his death. They didn't understand everything, so they were asking questions. The first time we think we have all the answers and we've got it all figured out, guess what? We're probably stalking him. This quote took me back a little bit this week. A God small enough to be understood will never be big enough to be worshipped. If God is small enough where you can completely understand him, he's not big enough to be worshipped. And the God that we serve is big enough to be worshipped. You don't have all the answers, and that's beautiful. You know who to go to for the answers. Hang with me here for this one. You might be a Jesus stalker if the written word trumps the living word. Now, before you throw things at me, give me just a chance to explain this. John 1, 1 through 2, and then also verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me be abundantly clear here. This is not a low view of Scripture. This is not saying that Scripture does not matter. This is not degrading Scripture. This is raising Christ up. The written word will always point to the living word. The written word that we have always points to the living word that talks about. Even the written word says, in the beginning was the word, and it wasn't this, it was Jesus. John Ortberg, in his book Soul Keeping, which is probably my favorite book besides the Bible, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. Read it slow and read it with somebody else because it'll blow your mind. He talks about a time that he was with his mentor, Dallas Willard, and John Ortberg says this, Dallas, I learned a long time ago about the importance of having a quiet time when I read the Bible and do daily devotions. 
I do my best to start each day that way. Dallas Willard's response was this. People in churches, including pastors, have been crushed with guilt over their failure at having a regular quiet time or daily devotions. And then, even when they do, they find it does not actually lead to a healthy soul. Your problem is not the first 15 minutes of every day. It's the next 23 hours and 45 minutes. You must arrange your day so that you are experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. The problem is not the first 15 minutes. We can do a great job with that. The issue is what are we doing with the next 23 hours and 45 minutes? If we're not focused on the living word as we're reading the written word, we might be a Jesus stalker. If your morning quiet time in the word does not lead to time throughout the day with the word, there's not an issue with the daily devotions that you're doing. There's an issue with your devotion. If it's not leading to a life that's different than just memorizing something or pointing to this awesome devotional that you read, the issue isn't the devotional. The issue is where your devotion is. And we need to get to that point. We need to get to that point. Let me say it a different way. You might be a Jesus stalker if you point to references instead of relationships. If, if I were to ask you right now, like, why do you believe in God? If, if you believe in God, and why do you believe in God? Or why do you love God? If the first thing that comes to mind and out of our mouth is, well, the Bible says, we probably have an issue. You see, because here's the thing, I don't love my wife because my marriage certificate says I'm her husband. Pastor Phil talked about loving his daughters. He doesn't love his daughters because he looks at a birth certificate every morning. Maybe he does. I don't know. That'd be a little weird. (laughs) I love my wife because she brings me joy. I love my wife because she's the one that can make me laugh more than anybody else in the world. I love my wife because it doesn't matter what I look like in the morning, she can still smile at me. I love my wife because when I mess up, she forgives me. I love my wife because I get to hold her hand and go through the town or sit in the car and drive. It's not because of my marriage certificate. And so if you're saying, I love God just because this says so, we've got an issue. We shouldn't be pointing to the reference, we should be pointing to the relationship. Let me tell you a little bit of why I believe in God. I was about four years old and my mom got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is a, it's MS, it's an incurable disease. So I was about 22 years old off, um, off, I was a youth pastor for the summer and my mom calls me and says, I've been healed. I was like, she must be having a good day. No, from that day forward, there was a lady who prayed over her, and when she, she went to stand up and reach for her cane, the lady took her cane away and said, you need it no more because of the blood of Jesus. I can't explain that, guys. I cannot explain that. As a matter of fact, my mom, from the time I was four until I was 20, 22, however old I was, 
um, she had disability. She was getting disability um, payments from the government. And she got healed, and the government said, you must not have had MS because no one gets healed of MS. You must have been throwing one over on us. We demand our money back. Guys, people, the world is saying, I don't believe it, but I know it. I don't need somebody to tell me I experienced it. There's another story of me. I was in school in Europe, and I was going on this bus, and I have no idea why, but this guy's face came to mind. And you need to understand, I don't see people's faces super well in my mind. And so all of a sudden, this guy I don't know very well, his name's Kerry Robinson. He's a pastor at Eastside Church of God in Anderson, Indiana. Uh, His face came to mind. And I almost audibly heard God say, pray for him. But don't just pray for him. Tell him you're praying for him. Well, I don't know Kerry that well. I, I mean, I've met him before. He probably doesn't know who I am. So I get home off the bus, and I, I walk to my house. I um, get online, search Kerry Robinson, Eastside Church God, Anderson, Indiana, find his email, and I say, hey, this is totally random, but this, I, God just told me I should do this. I feel weird doing this, but you don't know who I am. But I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. And it wasn't enough for me just to do it. I felt like I needed to tell you. So he responds back later that afternoon, and he says, hey, um, I want to let you know something. He goes, I'm preaching tomorrow at my church on the power of prayer. And not just that people would pray, but that they would tell others that they're praying for them. Can I share your email? Guys, I'm getting emotional, not because of— I. This confirms what I know, but what I know is that I've experienced God in a new way that no one else would understand. I tell that story, and you guys don't feel it. I tell the story of me and my wife getting married, and you guys don't understand it, but your own love story you understand. God wants a love story with you and not just a stalking relationship. So why do you believe? Pastor Bob's been talking about the armor of God. I'm excited because next week he'll, he'll conclude that. I'm not excited that he's concluding it. I'm excited to have him back to hear how he concludes it. Don't fire me, Pastor Bob. I still love you. Let me remind you, the armor that we put on is not tangible. It's not this thing weighing you down. Although I will say, I saw this Facebook post this week, and this is what the person said. So I got on the bathroom scale this morning, and let me tell you, the full armor of God is heavy. (laughs) Can I get an amen? So that's a cool Facebook gif or jif or however you say those crazy things. But the real thing is, that's, it's not heavy. Jesus said, my burden is light. I'm giving you this armor to put on, but it's not a tangible thing, so stop standing on the sidelines just watching me go to battle. Get that armor on and take that next step. Don't just memorize the armor of God. Don't just memorize the things that I'm doing, but follow me. So you took an inventory. Are you living in isolation? Are you only around churchgoers? Are you all all those different things? How'd you do? This week I did horrible. I did. I confessed that. But I think that's the first step, and I think AA teaches us a lot about this. The first step from just stalking Jesus to following him is just saying, hey, 
I'm Aaron, or insert your name there, and I'm a Jesus stalker. But I don't want to stay that way. We've got opportunities here at this church that help you in this journey. Because as I said, we don't do life in isolation when we're following Jesus. So if if you go, man, I, I feel like I did terrible on that assessment. I feel like I'm stalking Jesus, but I don't know what to do now. The first thing I would encourage you is to go out here if you're in the sanctuary and go to the starting point and meet with Dr. Bob out there. He'll help you in this discipleship pattern of what to do next. If you're worshiping with us online, email us at discipleship at centralcommunity.church. We want to hear from you and we want to help you in this journey because as we help you, we also learn how to follow Jesus better. Or maybe you're the one that goes, hey, I've been living in isolation and I need to do life with somebody else. Take a look around you. Could be your next life group sitting near you. Maybe you go, I'm around only churchgoers. Maybe you need to email us at missions at centralcommunity.church and get involved with the mission here at the church to be around people who don't necessarily look like us and who stretch us because that's where Jesus is. Maybe you need to help out with kids' ministry. I heard an amen there. Here's the thing. I know what you're saying to yourself right now. Man, I can't help out with that. I'm not good at teaching. I'm not a scholar. I'm not good at teaching. Perfect. That's exactly who we need because we don't need teachers. We need somebody who will testify. We need somebody who will testify to the change that God has made in their life. We need somebody to testify to walking with Jesus and not just teaching us how to memorize Scripture. Yes, they get to do that, but that Scripture always leads to a relationship with Jesus. So if you've got a testimony, we need you. We need you. So I told you, I think at the beginning that I've been stalked twice in my life, or what I consider stalking. Maybe you're like, that first one wasn't very much stalking. So the second one, I was at Warner University, Lake Wales, Florida. I was, I think, a sophomore in college. And there was this girl there that, this is horrible, I don't remember her name, okay? The reason why I don't remember her name is because we nicknamed her Carrots. The reason for that is I don't like carrots. Okay, I know this is immature of me. I'm just telling you, it's immature. I'm confessing. So my friends, my closest friends knew if I just said, hey guys, you want to go get some carrots at the cafeteria? They knew this girl was around because she was sneaky and somehow she would just be there. And she would say stuff like, oh, I just feel so close to you. And I'm like, you are. And then, like, so one day, I'm sitting in the cafeteria with some of my um, best friends who are uh, Swedish basketball players that were there at campus with me, and I'm sitting there with Mats and Stina, and she walks in and walks to my side, and I'm going, carrots, carrots, carrots. And she walks up, and she just looks at me, and she goes, I just feel so close to you right now. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, I was just in your dad's class. See, my dad was a professor at the university. I was just in your dad's class, and he told the sweetest story of you ever, and I just feel so close to you. Can I give you a hug? And before I could answer, the hug was there. <laughs> and I just kind of stoned up. 
And what I really wanted to say is like, I, I don't even know your name. Like, I, do, I don't know you. You think you know so much about me and that we're close. I don't even know your name. I started this sermon by having you stand up for the reading of God's word. That's how we're going to end it. So if you would stand with me out of respect for God's word. Let me wrap this up. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He's saying you did great things, you knew a lot about me, but I don't even know your name. You stood from afar, and you watched me, and you memorized my movements, and you memorized the things that I said, and, and you did all this stuff, and you spent time with the, the written word, but you, who are you? So today, maybe you just need to introduce yourself. See, the thing is that's different about this stalking relationship is Jesus wants a relationship with you. Maybe you just need to introduce yourself and just go, hey, I'm Aaron. I've been stalking you for a while. I know a lot about you, but I'm sorry I, I haven't been in relationship. I want to really know you, and I want to be known by you. Remember, if you need to take that step, we've got some people at the starting point after service. You can email us. We want to be a part of that process because we don't want a church full of people who know a lot about Jesus. We want a church full of people who know Jesus and make him known. Don't get to that place where he goes, I don't even know your name. Get to that place where he says, well done, thy great and faithful servant, Aaron, or George, or Justin, or Kyle, or Randy, or Jane. Let's pray. God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. You are so wonderful. And I don't know this just because I read. I know this because you're living and you're living inside of me. God, I pray for the people who have been convicted this morning, as I have. Teach us how to walk with you. Forgive us for the times that we've stood from afar with our armor on, feeling good about ourselves. And yet we're not in relationship. God, may we walk in such a way with you that it encourages others to walk with you. May your glory be revealed in that. In your name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. 
now you've been to church, go be the church and follow Jesus with your whole heart. Amen.